Welcome and hello, everybody. This is the REI Society podcast, where we are informing you everything real estate and business related so that you can be successful in REI investing. We're sharing the tools, tips, and stories from people who have already made it. And my name is Brandon Thompson, your host. Each week, we'll bring extraordinary guests so that you can learn real estate from the best. Mr. Chad Carson, how are you doing today? Doing great, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. So you are the Chad Carson, the the Coach Carson. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, let's just get right into it. Tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself, uh, you know, Clemson life and things like that, and what you do. Yeah. And let's just go right in. That's the way I like it. Yeah. If we're talking sports, let's just get yeah. right to the meat of the ball here. <laughs> yeah, jump in the game. Yeah, get in the arena. Uh, yes, yeah, so you can. I have. I live in Clemson, South Carolina, and this is the place I actually went to college. I grew up in Noonan, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, and got recruited here to play football at Clemson. Believe it or not. So I was a linebacker there and that paid for my school. And I love the area so much that I decided to figure out a way to stick around. And yeah. so I, uh, real estate investing was what I got into right after college. And a business partner and I have been doing it together for 18 years where we started off flipping houses. I wholesaled a good bit. I just learned how to find good deals and just pass them on to other people. Mm-hmm. And then started building up the business of private money and getting money to flip houses and then evolved eventually to more of a buy and hold business, which is what we do now. We have a good number of student rentals, small multifamily properties, we have a few, you know, some single family houses, uh, some mobile homes, but yeah. that's the, it's just a little kind of a small big fish in a small pond kind of business. Although Clemson's gotten bigger. It's on the national map now. There's a lot of national builders building apartment buildings and things like that, but we're, we still feel like a small town. Yeah. Yeah. So you started off as a linebacker at Clemson and what's the, what's the A to Z on how you went from football coaching to football and coaching and then to real estate? Yeah, it was sort of an accident. I mean, my, my, I was lucky that my father had rental properties. My mom was a dentist and so she had a good income growing up. My dad was kind of the guy to take the income from their her business and build wealth with, with it. So I was able to observe that. So really fortunate in that respect, but I didn't plan on doing it because I had, I had bad experiences as a kid where, you know, he would, t- he was, he was teaching us, but he, he would drop me off at this house. He just bought in foreclosure and the refrigerator was full of old deer meat or something. And I, I had to be the one to clean it out. And I was like, Oh, this is awful. Like nobody wants to do these nasty fixed rep houses. Right. But then after college, it was, I was a biology major thinking about going kind of the medical school route. And I said, I'm just going to take a break for a year or two, be an entrepreneur. Maybe this will help me out. I'll learn how to invest in real estate. But once I went into that business model, it just, it, it, being an entrepreneur was, was just all about all what I wanted to do, which is really great. Having control of my schedule, you know, having no limit, no, no ceilings, no limits. Schedule was all mine. And so just that flexibility and freedom was enticing. And I so that was my transition, just jumping right into it and um, living in my parents' uh, house for about nine months and then living in a friend's spare bedroom for about a year just to try to I didn't have any money coming in for a while. But then after that, after slowly but surely started making a little bit of money with some flips and that was it. That's awesome. So you position yourself with a bunch of flips in the beginning and then you become the master of long-term rentals. And that's where you're, you're at now in your stage of your real estate career. And from what I'm seeing, you're, you're traveling or before coronavirus, you're traveling all <laughs> over the place and things like that. Uh, you've been doing this for 18 years. You've created a lifestyle, uh, which is something uh, I see you preaching online a lot. Is that the way to go with this business to go from flipper to 
owning a bunch of rentals to having lifestyle so you can live a lot your best life? Well, I mean, the cool thing is it's so flexible. You know, there, I don't think there's a right way to do it. I, I can talk about what's right for me. And a lot, I think a lot of people resonate with this idea that instead of just working, like going from a job to another job, you know, having a business and you're working 90 hours a week instead of 50, 40, 50 hours a week. Um, I, I've just, I've, I've had to pull myself back numerous times. because I love the grind. And I love business. and I love buying and selling houses. But I think my wife is probably the good balance for me. We, she teaches Spanish and we love traveling. We love, there's just other things in life that they're hard to measure, but they're what it's all about. You know, they make life rich. And for us traveling to Latin America, we love the Latin American culture, love learning language, love the food, the people. And so we went, to, we used to go to Mexico before we had kids. We go to Mexico. We went to a four month trip to Peru and just backpacked around. And I learned to speak Spanish and went to uh, Machu Picchu and went to, awesome. then kept on going to Chile and Argentina. Yeah. And so we, these, these were kind of like uh, Tim Ferriss, four hour work week style, uh, mini retirements right. where we would just, instead of just waiting 20 years later to retire and live a lifestyle, why not intersperse your, your entire life with four month trips, one month trip, uh, in 2017, when we had kids, we went with our kids for 17 months to Ecuador. Mm -hmm. And so it has forced me in my real estate business to say, all right, what kind of business would allow me to have those breaks where you leave and you come back and you have flexibility yeah. and how do you do it remotely? And so it, yeah. it sort of forced my real estate business in a box and I had to give up some things which were not as easy to do. But in the, in the interim, I still made money and I was able to have flexibility and travel. So I, that kind of lifestyle business is really what appeals to me right. because it allows you to experience retirement and financial independence, not in the future, like right now along the way. And then you, you progressively get more and more financially independent where you have, have more income coming in over time. Yeah, I love that. You know, you know what, I, what I like about you is we share the same philosophy. Like before coronavirus, every 90 days, my wife and I would do what, what we would call work hard, play hard. We would work hard for 90 days. And then every 90 days, we're going on some kind of international trip. And, you know, we love Latin America and uh, Central America and been to Guatemala and to uh, you know, the Mayan ruins and mm. you know, south of Belize and just all over. Uh, we, also, you know, we also love the European countries and being able to travel every 90 days. It's like, I'm drained. I've got to go just get away from life for about two, three weeks and then come back yep. and I'm refreshed and it's, yeah. it's ready to seize the day. So that's, yep. that's incredible. What do you, what do you feel like is the best use of your time now that you are semi retired, uh, retired, you said you were, you said you were born or you said you, you lived in Noonan. I live yeah. in Carrollton. Which is oh right yeah, Florida Noonan, absolutely um, West Georgia College. Yeah, West, yeah, that's where I went, where I dropped out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we were in the same part of the country, same part of the state. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, best use of time is has been an evolving question. I mean, I, I still go through times when the best use of my time is to focus on my real estate business and sell something or buy something. Like just this week, we refinanced a, a bigger kind of multi-unit property that we have, and so I've spent a lot of time on the details of that and getting into talking to the banker and going to the closing and. I like that. I like the fact that I'm not totally detached from, from everything that I can jump back in and jump back out. But you know, I have a, a motto on my website and my podcast, which is uh, do what matters. And I think that's, that's been the, the, the challenge to myself is to continually ask myself, all right, at this point in my life or for the next five years, you know, what really matters to me? And that's a time management question. Like, where, where am I, where do my, what's, what are my values? What's important to me? And 
in this period of my life, I have a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old daughter, two daughters. So being a dad is incredibly important. Um, Taking care of my health and being healthy so that, you know, I'm 40 years old. We're pretty similar age. Like going forward, I want the the long run. I want to be here. I want to be able to still be moving around and traveling. And and so some of these just fundamentals of taking care of yourself where a lot of myself, I'm pointing my finger at myself. When we work, 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 it's really easy to grind yourself into oblivion both physically, with your relationships. So I, I think for me, that has been one of the biggest um, eye-openers for semi-retirement or early retirement is just trying to find a little bit of balance between the different things in your life that are important to you, your family, your health, and also giving back and contribution to your community, things that don't make any money. But here we are entrepreneurs who know how to solve problems, know how to create things. Can we find ways to help solve social problems with our with 20 hours a week or something like that? And that's those, those have been my own kind of personal uh, things that I'm working on. It sounds like we're both very similar in, in, in fact, in age and the similar uh, amount of time that we've been in business. I also have two girls. Mine are a little bit older. I've got a 15-year-old that's about to be 16 at 11, about to go to 12. And uh, yeah. You can, give mean, me some t- you can give me some tips. You're, you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we, just let the, we just let the first boy come home uh, to see, to meet the parent. Not, not that she's getting married, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, date, kind of date kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to the house, come meet us, go swim in the pool. Yeah, so we got that going on. But yeah, I, I find myself as a workaholic and I'm slowly like, yeah, I've been asking myself a lot of those philosophical questions over the last couple of years as, as I built my wealth back and I have recreated a little bit more time efficiency and definitely a student of Tim Ferriss and several others that, that I'm sure we both know about and have read. And I'm at the point where it's just all about systems. And I think you being the master of, of rentals and long-term rentals, you probably have a lot to tell us about systems. Is there anything that you can teach us or share on how to grow and scale a long-term rental business so that we can live that best life so we can give more time to the most important things in life, like our health and our family and so on? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think it comes down to systems, but also a team for me. So I'm thinking like sports metaphors that, you know, you, we're, we're like the head coach or we're the quarterback of the team. We're the most important piece but we have these team members around us and to the extent that we have good team members we can really have a passive business where we can go trap like when i was in ecuador for 17 months that's a really good team members back at home who i trusted and who are competent competent enough to run the systems Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think it's those two things and to the extent that you don't have a good team that you can have the best systems you want and they'll steal from you or they'll just steal steal time from you or that is and that didn't work so i think some of it is there's um, just picking the right people, recruiting the right people. For me, it was a bookkeeper who grew into like a property manager who helped me manage a lot. Dude, 90% of the property management work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a key. Uh, she actually retired this this year. So I've had to be a scramble a little bit, but what we, my business partner and I have decided, and it was probably a good long-term move anyways, we now have several different property management companies who own different parts of our portfolio. Mm-hmm. And and so the, the systems, the, the team is more about picking the right property manager. And we've, you know, carefully watched some of these local property managers, the ones that impressed us the most, the ones we thought had integrity, the ones that were competent and who were in it for the long haul. Right. And then there are some systems to that as well. Like they have, a, you hope they have a lot of systems that they already use. And so you pick somebody with good leasing systems, good property maintenance systems, you know, things like that. But then as a, 
an asset manager, which is more what I see myself now, I still need to have good spreadsheets and watch my numbers every month and have good financial reports. And I compare it sort of like the matrix. I love the matrix movies where, you know, Nemo finally, he, when things finally slowed down in the matrix, he saw everything is like zeros and ones, a bunch of numbers. And that's the way I try to think about my own business is that I want to, I want to be able to see everything, all the properties, all the functioning on a month to month basis as a financial report. And then if, if there's something wrong, I see like, Oh, that's not, that number is not right. Let me go dig into the operations and find, ask some questions. And so that's sort of the higher level place I'm still working to get to, but that's, that's what I'm trying to do with my, my buy and hold business. This opens up a lot of questions for me. Um, let's just start off with a, an easy one. How many rental properties do you own currently? We have 110 or so units. And so some of those, like we have a 12 unit building. We have some uh, four units, a lot of two, three, four units, and then some single family houses. So most of those, but all together, uh, there's 110 units. And most of those are in the kind of greater Clemson area. So within the sphere of Clemson University, but also in some of the other towns nearby. Why would you pick external property management versus internal property management? reason why I'm asking is because I'm actually rebuilding my rental portfolio so that I can have more freedom and I'm eventually going to walk away from flipping, which I make great money flipping and I can leave for two to four weeks. But it seems like you always have to work and and rebuild and and keep it going. And I'm just like at the point in my life where I'm like you, like I just want that passivity, that mailbox money per se. And I want, you know, I want more of my time back. And I realize that I am missing out on the last few years of my, my daughter's lives and right. it's time to go. So right. I'm just kind of curious what your perception is on this. Yeah. I, mean, I think I could see an argument for either an internal property manager or external. Like I think either one can work and it has worked for us because for years we did the internal property management, but I, I think we just sort of saw the opportunity at hand right now that there were qualified, competent people in our town. We just have a good property management marketplace. So there's other, a lot of competition and I think people doing good jobs. And so I, I think it's kind of like building, you know, recruiting a team when you're in sports. Like, can are there good players out there who you can recruit who can get the job done who are all stars? And if there are, then go recruit them and kind of build your offense or your defense around those all stars. And so I think around the business around external property management because there are competent people in town. Um, on the other hand, like my my dad uh, owns rental properties. My mom and dad in Noonan, Georgia. And I don't know as much about that marketplace, but it seems to me, and maybe you can help me out with this too, is that some of the suburban kind of Atlanta metro marketplaces, there's a, there's a real lack of supply of property managers. I just, I don't, he has a really good one. He has a couple of good ones there, but outside of those two that he's talked to, there just doesn't seem to be as many who, who travel all over the place and do all these single family houses everywhere. And so I think I'm just happen to be fortunate in my market with right. good property managers but if I were in another market where I just couldn't find the people that I really wanted, I wouldn't be opposed to hiring somebody, building a small management business, even if it wasn't a for-profit. I mean, I want to make a little bit of money in it, but I might just build the business around a person or two who are really good people and then build that business and teach them the system. So either one of those can work, but in our case, the external was, was there and I could, we could hire them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've, uh, so over the years, uh, when I first started, when I was between 20 and 22, I had, I purchased 20 rental properties, ended up unfortunately losing them because I was cash strapped entrepreneur, you know, uh, you know, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and, and not, not stewarding my wealth well per se. And then 2008 financial crisis pushed me, you know, down on the ground and I lost everything. But then after the recession, 
I built up with my previous business partner for former business partner, a hundred rentals. And we, we had internal management, but it got to the point where we had too many properties for internal management to handle. So then we decided to give it off to external management, you know, other companies that were representing other sell, uh, our, our owners and landlords. And, um, you know, we went through three before we got to three of them that were just terrible until we got to one that was just okay. You know, mm-hmm. six or you know, out of one out of a 10, maybe the first uh, three were a one out of four. And then this last one was a seven. Like we just didn't feel like we got what we needed out of them. And maybe that was lack of understanding or lack of setting expectations on my end. I'll do the Jocko Willing thing and say, I screwed up and I should have done this better and put myself on the line for extreme ownership. But right. I, I think, I think it, it is tough on this side of town because uh, for what I've seen, a lot of people are, say they're in property management, they really just don't know the business and it it takes proper training. And then how do you, so I guess with that said, that answered maybe some what your question, not what I, what you see in this area, but how do you vet a good property manager? I think it's it's very similar to me that with other employees and other team members is that I really try to go slowly early on. Like I, I actually want to handpick that person, like to the property managers we're using right now, the owners of the business, I knew them in other contexts. I knew them from doing some nonprofit work locally and we just we were on a team in the nonprofit and I'm like, man, this guy's good. I trust him. I know him. And let me start asking questions about his business. So yeah. it, it, and it's, it's actually the same way I've worked with a business partner. Like my business partner is the same way, the same way I've worked with private lenders. Like I don't want to just put myself out there and say, hey, anybody want to loan me private money? Like I actually want to meet the people, get to know them. Do I trust them? Can I work together? Do we have fun together? And then like start working on the details of the, the, the working arrangement, the private lending arrangement, the property management arrangement. Right. So for, in both of these cases, I've just known these people. And that's not a, I guess that's not an easy repeatable formula other than just networking and getting to know people and maybe just getting involved in the local area to say, all right, who are the people who I really resonate with and like? Right. And, and then identify your need and say, all right, those, I need a property manager. I like this person. Let me just take them to lunch or in the coronavirus world, let me do a Zoom, Zoom call and talk yeah. to them. And so far, so good. I mean, it's, they're definitely, I, the mistakes I've made and I've, I, I'm still learning a ton all the time in real estate. But I, when I work with contractors, for example, you're probably, you know, an A plus in, in doing like contractors flips. I'm, I'm kind of a B minus. And I think a lot of my deficiency there has been setting expectations that you mentioned earlier, like on the front end, like having those hard conversations where you say, here's what I expect in a lot of detail. And they're going to want to get distracted and not, you know, not pay attention to that. But here's my scope of work. Here's what I expect you to do. Am I missing anything? Is there no surprises later on? I just, you know, we would constantly have those surprises and the contractors off work on another job. And I think that's still something we're working on with our property managers. I'm saying, here's what I expect. Here's what we want. But I think once you have that kind of foundation of trust and a long-term partnership mindset, then the details of coaching them is kind of like sports. You know, you can coach your player if they, you've recruited them, you trust each other, you can teach them how to do the layup. You can teach them how to rebound well. You can do all that stuff. But if you don't have that other stuff, it's, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, this is not going to work. What I'm hearing you saying that is setting expectation, managing them efficiently and building up that initial relationship capital so that you can have the most effective team period. Yeah. 
All right, everybody, we're going to talk to you about our new sponsor for REI Society. It is PropStream. Big data for real estate tailored for you. If you don't know what PropStream is, you need to get it immediately. PropStream provides unmatched access to detailed property records nationwide. They have more data, more features, and investor tools than any other service out there. Trust me, I know. Unlimited searches let you evaluate specific properties or search their database for over 160 million records, both on and off market, that meet your exact investment criteria. You get to target motivated sellers, find cash buyers, accurate comps, especially if you're not a realtor and you need to get accurate comps. And then you have much more with their precise filtering system. This software allows you to work smarter and not harder. PropStream has more data, more features, and investor tools than any other product or service on the market today. You can identify your investment criteria, search, evaluate, and target. That's crucial, guys. PropStream's built-in marketing features make it easy for you to reach your prospects through customized postcards, email campaigns, landing pages, and ringless voicemails. You want to know where you can find properties left and right? You can do it through PropStream. This is where we get our best deals. Go to trial.propstreampro.com forward slash REI Society. This is going to get you a seven-day free trial that you get to play around with. And if you text me, if you text me PropStream on my phone number, I will send you a live webinar that we did way back in the day that can tell you all about how to utilize this the correct way. So text 404-341-2897. Again, 404-341-2897. Text PropStream to this number, and I will send you a link to a video that teaches you how to utilize PropStream. So Go ahead and subscribe today, trial.propstreampro.com forward slash REI Society. Again, trial.propstreampro.com forward slash REI Society. That's going to get you your seven-day free trial. Tell me about your spread up the real estate mountain uh, and your disappointment at the top. I prompted you with a few questions. Yeah. You sent that back. Why don't you tell us what that means? Well, I mean, I think I had a similar to that pre-recession experience. And I think part of my, and we ended up surviving and keeping our properties, but it wasn't easy in 2008 and nine as well. And I think, you know, sometimes there's luck, sometimes there's just other things going on. But my sprint up the real estate mountain that I, I talk about is that we, we, 2003, we started our business and we were two young green investors and we went to seminars and classes and we basically borrowed goals from some of the teachers we were watching. Like we admired you know, I think it was uh, Robin Thompson or somebody who we were watching at a seminar and she was flipping 50 houses per year. And we were like, wow, that's interesting. And we went to her weekend seminar and here's all the systems. And she's still, she's a great, uh, great investor. Um, but we, we sort of took a little bit about what we heard and said, all right, we also want to have that goal. We want to flip 50 houses per year. And we just started going out and buying a bunch of properties and kind of fast forward to 2007. That was our year where we had 33 closings. You know, I think you know, some of those are multiple properties and most of them are good. I mean, we were flipping some houses, making 60 grand on a, on a flip, doing a lot of acquisitions, bought a lot of rental properties as well. So we, we got kind of to this volume level that we perceived as successful uh, for sprinting up the real estate mountain. But I think the problem, the thing we learned was that we didn't really think about the, what the, the why behind those goals. Like, why are we trying to flip uh, that many houses or why are we trying to have this much volume like what's the end game what are we trying to accomplish and so we had sprinted we had successfully bought a bunch of properties but here we are you know on the the precipice of the great recession and you know we just had to kind of hang on and just figure some things out along the way and that was painful you know just some properties a lot of properties that we underestimated repair costs on having some properties had negative cash flow 
having properties that were in the wrong locations where we just didn't uh, anticipate or didn't notice because we were working, going so fast that the next door neighbor was dealing drugs and had a pit bull in the backyard you know, that made it hard for us to rent a property. So we just had a lot of, you know, things that we had to recover from over for over a two year period during a recession when it's harder to sell and we've yeah. overpaid for some of these properties. Yeah. So that, I think that was the, you know, the wake up call, but even more so I give my business partner credit for this one, you know, at the end of that 2007, right when we're kind of at the end of buying all these properties, um, the, the, we, we pressed pause and I said, all right, we need to sit here and, and like go through a, a, a conversation about what are the important things for us and what matters. And it, it really helped us to orient, like, all right, if we buy and flip houses, we buy properties, what are the things we want to be able to do on a day-to-day -day basis? And we wrote down things like, hey, I want to be able to play pickup basketball in the middle of the day for two hours. Yeah. That's because that's what my business partner and I like to do. We like to play basketball. We like to take hikes. Um, <clears throat> I just got married that year. So we, my wife and I had talked about traveling some of these many retirements that I, I talked about earlier. I wanted to be able to take those and be flexible enough to do that. And so when we contrasted those things that we said we wanted to do in life with the way our real estate business looked and the goals we had set for our real estate business, they didn't really match up that well. There was, you know, there's some potential to connect them, but it was a wake up call in that, all right, we got to connect the outcome of our business, of our life with the inputs of the business so that we build a business that actually gets us what we want instead of just yeah. being busy for busy's sake. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's a, uh, so you, you, reconstructed you reverse engineered your business to build the life you want uh you had a, you had emailed me and said you don't want to wait until your 60s or 70s to enjoy the benefits of retirement so going back to the same word reverse engineered your business so that you can have those benefits of retirement now that's the american dream right yeah <laughs> I, I think i think so and i, th I think it was ironic in america that like we are we're good at working you know, i think it's a cultural thing i mean it's you know there's all sorts of different ways people came here to America, some positive, a lot of that's in, in the light right now, some not, you know, people came here not on their own will, but our, our ancestors like worked like in the United yeah. States, like everybody worked. And so yeah. for better or worse, you know, that's what we do. But I, you know, traveling has also taught me that like, sometimes we don't, we need to learn to, to, to take it easy, to take a break. Yeah. You know, what's one thing I love about Latin America, they work hard as well. Like we were in Ecuador, for example, but they also like on the, on Sundays, like they, they know how to hang out with family. It's very, it's, it's important to them or friends, whoever, whoever people are important. And they go to a park, like in a, in a park in Ecuador, like there would not be an empty park, like picnics everywhere and people walking around, strolling around, talking to each other, people taking siestas. I, I don't see that. That's, that's not a, no, it's not a normal thing in, in the U S right. and, and so I think those, those priorities sometimes, and this, I'm just pointing myself again, you know, sometimes it's easy to lose those priorities about it. We, we visualize retirement and it's kind of sold to us with marketing that, Hey, one day you'll be on a beach with pina coladas or one day you'll be sitting around with your spouse and hiking on a trail or something one day, someday. And we always want to buy that with a product, like go pay wall street to help you manage your money. And the thing I love about real estate is it's, you have a lot more control over that narrative. You can go work hard for 10 years and it's very possible. I've, you know, there's lots of examples you and I could show people where you could build enough wealth to produce enough income to take care of the basics. And so then the question is, it's almost like you're a kid again. It's like, all right, you're, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Like you're, you have no excuse. Like the basics are taken care of. Yeah. You've got 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. How do you want to live your life now? What do you, what's important to you? 
And actually that's kind of scary when, when you get there. Like sometimes you're like, wait a minute. Like I don't, yeah. you know, I've always been working. I've always been doing this. That's important to me. But when you, when you sort of pull that rug out from under yourself and, and give yourself the opportunity to ask that question, what do I want to do when I grow up? Even if you're 50, even if you're 70, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a little scary, but it's also right. exciting. It's like, like you're, you're a teenager again. You're right. So when I travel abroad in Europe specifically, it seems like um, these guys, the Europeans, they work to live. They, they have two-hour meals, uh, especially in Italy. They have mm-hmm. two-hour meals. They're drinking wine. They're celebrating life. And um, you know, they're, they're always having meaningful conversations. They'll stop work to just have a conversation with you. It's all about rapport and like a connection. Said, yeah, yeah, connection. Yeah. Here in America, I see that it's, it's like we live to work. <laughs> it seems like we've got it backwards and, and mm-hmm. I've kind of kept talking about the matrix, which I'm excited about the movie that hopefully comes out next year. We'll see if it gets delayed, but, uh, the fourth one, but yeah, the, I feel like I just, I just woke up in the last two years. It's like, man, I, you know, I've got, I've got enough capital in the bank to, to take a few years off or re- semi-retire and just do some passivity, uh, investing. And like, I just want to work. So now the last two years yeah. I've been killing it. Just, yeah. uh, you know, not trying to be arrogant, but just working a lot. To, mm-hmm. to make extra capital. And now I'm just like, I'm slightly burned out because I've been living to work. Now I'm ready yeah. to work to live. I'm ready to rebuild yeah. it and let it kind of yep. not, not dominate me. So I appreciate you telling us about this. What is, uh, what is something that you can teach us? I know we're jumping all over the place, real estate, great. Life, I love travel, yeah. this, <laughs> you know, the ball always goes to different positions. So let's, let's go over this. What's, what's something you can teach us on how to make the right for your side of town, I know every I know every town is different. You know, L.A. real estate is not going to be the same as Clemson real estate. But how do you pick your assets, and what makes it a good asset for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it does depend on what stage of your investing that you're in. Like I, I know for a lot of people, like if you're somebody who has a hundred thousand dollar net worth and you're trying to get to a million dollar net worth you know, the the main focus for you is not making cash flow today. Like you just want to grow. Like you just want to, whatever strategy gets you from a hundred to a million, that's your strategy. And the cool thing about real estate is there's a lot of paths up that mountain. You know, there's, uh, if you're in, if you're in Southern California, you're not going to buy a property that's going to make a ton of cash flow. Like you're, you're buying properties with 5% cap rates or 4% cap rates at best. And you're just going to try to get the bills paid or maybe even feed it a little bit. But then you're buy- so your, your job then is to buy a property that is efficient as possible, produces as much income as possible, hopefully better than some of the properties around it, but that is in an up and coming area where you see a, li- a limited supply and a huge demand. So you're, you're playing more of the speculation game, but you're, you're, just, you're just using a rental property to help you be patient and to kind of wait for that growth to happen. And there are people in some of those markets who can see five to 7% appreciation rates because they picked the right part of town. And, and that, I mean, in five to 10 years, your property that you bought for four or 500,000 can turn into a million dollar property. Now you've built four or $500,000 in wealth. So like that's, that's one strategy. My strategy, I'm taking what my market's giving me. I'm more of a balanced market. There's still some cash flow to be had, but I try to do that same principle that I want to buy like a, almost like a blue chip stock. I want to buy a property that is not the worst property, not worst neighborhood in town, but I also don't want to buy like the A neighborhood, the best one, because those don't typically have as much cash flow. Mm-hmm. So like a, a B minus, C plus, or maybe a C that's moving into like a B. And for people who don't know that, you know, this is sort of a qualitative, uh, a lot of commercial real estate investors call, you know, rank neighborhoods by A, B, C. Right. 
with C being like more of a rental neighborhood, more rentals than owners. B is kind of a mix, but probably leaning towards more owners. And A is almost all owners. Uh, and so I like to find neighborhoods that are the C's or maybe even a D plus or something, but then are, are really moving up towards a B in the next, and you can anticipate that. So you're getting your cash flow today. You're, you're able to pay for the bills, pay your debt off, have cash flow to live off of. But then also over the next five, 10 years, you're building some wealth. And that, that's a nice combination because you're not having to choose between the two. And, and so that's, that's been more of our strategy. We try to find some multifamily properties, small multis that are in you know, C locations, moving into Bs that are uh, in Clemson, for example, we have a downtown, a little small downtown right next to the campus. And we own a couple of rental properties in there, but we just, those have been, those are really good long-term buy and hold properties. But then there's not, not as many good cash flow rentals there now. So we're kind of in the next little neighborhood over that we think is turning into another downtown eventually. And there's still public transit. So those, those are good questions to ask. And I think flippers understand this pretty well. They understand the dynamics of neighborhood change and markets. And so as a buy and hold investor, actually, you, can, you don't have to be as good as a flipper. Like you don't have to, you can be patient. You can be, you know, you don't have to be right right now. You just have to be right in the next five to 10 years. And that's a much safer, uh, I think. I think I, I flipped as well, and I think it's a harder game than, than buy and hold. Buy and hold, you got to get your financing right. You got to get a good property. But if, you, if you're patient and you have some capital behind you, then, then you can make it work over the long run. I agree. Do you feel like you are going to eventually sell your rental properties one day uh, for a multi-million dollar buyout? Or are you going with the philosophy of, I'm never going to sell? You know, I got tax-free equity. I can pull out and not be taxed on income. If I ever want to refinance, refinance them, and I'm yeah. on them forever. What what philosophy do you go after? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna never say never. Like we might sell them, we might sell them eventually. Yeah. Um, our, our mindset might change, but at the moment where we are, is that if we sold it all, we're like, all right, what are we gonna go do with our money now? Like, are we gonna go put it in the stock market? Are we gonna go buy some bonds? Like, I feel pretty good about where we are, but I will tell you the kind of portfolio strategy we've been working on over the last five, seven years has been, I actually got this from John Schaub, who wrote a book, Building Wealth One House at a Time. He's a really, he's kind of been a mentor of mine from a distance. Um, And he always talked about, try to build a portfolio where you own the least number of properties you need to accomplish your financial goals. Mm -hmm. So he's more of a single family house guy. Let's own 25, 30 rentals when you grow up. And then, uh, you know, if you own any more than that, you're having to do more work. And but what he does is he look at his portfolio every year and he'd rank his properties based on different criteria, like quality of location, ease of management, uh, maintenance on the property. Some, some properties have a lot more maintenance than others. Um, some properties have better financing than others. And so he would rank all those. And the ones that have like bad financing, for example, but that are really high ranking on the other quality uh, criteria, you then work on refinancing those, like keep them. Like that's a good property, but the financing stinks. So let's, let's get a better financing on it. But then if you have some properties that have great financing or they just, they cash flow, but they're just, man, they're bad quality. There's always maintenance going on. The tenants never stay longer than a year to start selling those properties. Like get rid of those. And that might be, originally that might be 20% of your portfolio. For us, it was probably like 30 or 40% of our portfolio. But we've been working since 2007 to sell that, those pieces, those types of properties, and then replace them with better long-term properties. And eventually you'll get to the point, and I think we're kind of, we're close. We might have like three to 5% that we still wouldn't mind selling. But right now we're like, we, we could be happy holding this property. We understand them. We're good with them. And then it would have to be a really good opportunity. And that's a good place to be in. Somebody have to make us an incredible offer where it's just 
so hard to refuse that we're you know, quadrupling what we thought we were going to do or something in order to sell. And so now we're in the place where we can sit and, and hold and we can put our money there. We're paying off debt, you know, in a lot of cases is we don't want to hassle of dealing with bank debt. Right. So that's, that's where we are now. Well, I tell you what, won't you tell us about coachcarson.com we're shifting gears here quickly because I want to be mindful of your time. I see that you actually, actually hold on one thought. I was scanning your website. I think I saw that you were promoting the book, How to Think Like Da Vinci. Was that you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my, my early best uh, favorite personal development books. Love it. I met Michael Gelb last year. and After reading his book, I went, cool. uh, I went into a mastermind. Uh, it wasn't a real estate mastermind, but I went into a mastermind. And I had dinner with him sitting across from him. I got a personal video of him. I, so I, cool. asked, I asked him, I said, what would you say? to the youth of America or somebody in their early 20s uh, if you had to give them advice. And he just, I got to go back and look at it, see what he said. I don't even remember yeah. what he said. I, I mean, um, you, yeah, that's a tease. I, yeah, I got to know yeah, now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you the video. Um, All right. But it, yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy. But I saw that yeah. book. I'm like, I didn't know anybody else knew about him. I'm like, you know, I yeah. love that book. But yeah, yeah. tell us about, uh, tell us about CoachCarson.com. And yeah, I see that you give away to, to charity and things like that. So tell us more. I love, I love what you're doing. Well, so thank you for asking. So my coachcarson.com was sort of a, a hobby at first. Like I used to just, um, I had some local people who had asked me to, to help them out with their real estate business. And so this is back in 2008 and nine. And I just started teaching some local classes and started writing a little newsletter to like a hundred people who I'd done some consulting with. And I was just writing and writing, writing, writing for, for several years. And I was like, I'm making a, I'm just doing this because I like it because I like to learn and I like to teach, but I wasn't a, like a business at all. And finally, I realized, well, wait a minute, like I'm doing all this writing and there's this thing called a blog and a podcast where you can actually put your information out to the world. And so that became coachcarson.com where I have a uh, basically a, a kind of a collection of resources and uh, blog articles for free. I have a podcast that's for free called the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. And a lot of the, my focus is sort of this intersection that like we talked about today, practical, how do, how do you invest in real estate strategies, but with a, with a goal of using it to build a lifestyle to have financial independence, to retire early. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm all about. But I, I really love teaching. I think that's more, uh, I'm a pretty good real estate investor, but I think my, my calling is helping and teaching. And so Coach Carson's my conduit to do that. And I have courses, uh, teach people how to analyze a rental property, teach people how to find good deals. And I have a, a course a couple times a year that comes out called Real Estate Start School, which is like my commu online community where I help people uh, kind of go through those first steps of really building the fundamentals of their business, getting started, moving forward. And that's, I have a lot of fun with that. And um, like you said, I, I do donate half of my pro profits that I make from Coach Carson to charity. So it's, a, it's also a way for me to my, my wife and I have a foundation we're starting so that my goal over the long run, it's kind of a new ambition goal is to, if I can make money there, make money with real estate, then be able to use that to contribute to society and do things that aren't always the best investment return. But right. um, there, there's housing that doesn't make a lot of money, but it's in places where people need a lot of housing. There's health issues, there's race uh, relations issues that are important to us, but they just don't, um, you know, they don't get as much it's not as easy to build a business around, but if we can make a business and have a social business that contributes to those things with my money, with my time, that's sort of the, the next things I'm still learning about and trying to get good at now. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I mean, I've, I've just filtered through your website and salivating like how like awesome it is with, with the different topics and the teaching and the courses and all the links. I mean, I know this took a lot of your precious time to build out just to, to help people 
thrive. And, mm-hmm. and now through some of your teachings, now you're probably helping them survive, which is, which is really good. That philosophy though, like just giving back, that's something that's ingrained into me as well. I, I love to donate, you know, money to good causes. In fact, we're doing a $10,000 giveaway to every year. I do a $10,000 giveaway to nonprofits that I don't know about. I give it to my local church. I have a nonprofit I'm a part of. We have one called Benefit GUA, which is Guatemala. We help the widows and kids and orphans and stuff in Guatemala in the city dumps. But I'm always looking for new uh, new causes. So tell us about the one you're, you're starting up. Well, I mean, so part of that is just a, a foundation where we're going to contribute to other charities, like a lot like what you're doing. Just let's find local people who we can contribute to. But I also have been dabbling for the last since 2015, one of the issues that really matters to me in my local community is uh, alternative transportation. Um, I like to I like to walk and bike and get around town. And in the South in particular, we real estate people kind of know this because we see the way cities are built. But cities have been built around the automobile for the last 50, 60 years. And I, you know, I love driving a car. There's nothing wrong with driving a car. At the same time, though, a lot of the places that we really, like you're in Savannah right now, like yeah. some of the cities that were built before cars they focus more on people and like the local human connection and they're built around parks and connect and um, a lot of the suburban kind of built neighborhoods are, are more about uh, there's less easy. It's not easy to connect. It's not easy to walk to a place that you can get, you connect with other people and it's more people feel more isolated. So I've been studying a lot of that, just urban planning and just learning about it. And we have a local nonprofit called the Friends of the Green Crescent Trail where we're trying to build a network of walking and biking paths connected to parks and downtown commercial districts to make it make our little Clemson community easier. It's, it's like a it's a seven mile square mile city, but you can't walk a half a mile to get to the park or to get to the downtown. And that's a shame. It's not, and there's Atlanta's on a big scale. Atlanta is a great example of that on a big scale where you can go all over suburban Atlanta where I grew up and you got to drive everywhere. And there wasn't the public transportation infrastructure. There wasn't the, um, a lot of that built in for, for a lot of reasons, but, um, that's, so that's one of the things it's on a very small scale. I'm trying to do that in the Clemson community, but also housing. I'm really interested in how housing has, affected people over time, particularly with you know, discrimination and how that's yeah. affected Southern towns and the way people were or were or were not able to get houses. So I, I'm a student in that. Like I don't have any solutions there, but I would like to build up more of a um, you know, presence and helping supporting other uh, social entrepreneurs to help solve some of those problems. That's so good, man. That's, that is awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love the, the connectivity that Atlanta has built with the belt line that they build, yeah. they're building around and continue to build my hometown, Carrollton. They just did this big renovation in the, the square and they built an 18 mile bicycle loop all the way around Carrollton. So that you so can, cool. like you said, bike and walk to hike to and all that stuff and have that interconnectivity to bring it back to more community. And I think that's where, and that's where America wants to go. We need to yeah. come back to community. So I agree with that concept. Uh, let's do some rapid fire questions. Uh, I'm going to throw in some real estate questions and I'm curious to see what you think. Great. Um, what do you think about short-term rentals, Airbnbs? I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm dabbling in it. My, my wife and I have a basement apartment that was just kind of wasted space before that we, we now do game day rentals. So we're, uh, I don't know if we'll have any football this fall, but we, we did that before. Um, but I, I just think it's a great compliment. It's got its positives and negatives. You're obviously, a, uh, you, you're into that too. But um, I just, I think it's, it just gives us another tool in our toolbox. Certain properties make more sense for short-term rentals and Airbnbs. Certain properties are better for long-term rentals. And so I, I, I'm, I'm dabbling in a little bit and we've, we've got another property that we've rented in a downtown kind of Clemson area, Airbnb as well. So 
I think it's, I think it's a great tool. Well, I am, uh, after we get off here, I'm going up to Beaufort, South Carolina. I don't know how, that's probably a couple hours from you, I'm guessing, but it's actually um, three or four. Yeah. But I love, oh, okay. I love, I love Beaufort and Hilton yeah. Head and those areas. Yeah. 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 We're, we've got a property in Hilton Head. We're going up to Beaufort to check on a new one that we just contracted blind. Going into another real estate question. Are you still dabbling in flips? I'm not, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I just, I told you earlier, I'm kind of a B minus B kind of rehab guy. I'm more, I am more interested in having strategic partners like here locally in different areas where like, I know the location, I know the area, I can be the partner who puts up the capital. They manage the day-to-day stuff. I think that I, I'm all about that, but it just, it doesn't fit into my very restrictive uh, lifestyle <laughs> schedule these days. I'm, I'm spending more time podcasting and doing interviews like this that I enjoy. And uh, so the, the flipping just hasn't made it back into my life. Excellent. Excellent. What's your favorite book and why? Yeah, that's a good, I got so many books. I, you can see a bookshelf in the background there. Um, I, but you mentioned that question ahead of time. I, I thought about what I'm reading right now. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's a, it's called the, a guide to the good life. So I really like reading uh, Stoicism. It's like an ancient Roman philosophy. It's sort of like ancient self-help basically. And this, this, this book is just, I'm just underlining everything and it's just blowing my mind with a lot of just really practical stuff about just techniques that you can use to um, be more mentally resilient, to see life and enjoy life and be present more. Some things I struggle with just, you know, just, you know, I'm good at like setting goals and achieving these goals, but can you sit there and play Monopoly or play a game with your kids for two hours without being distracted or thinking about something else? Can you just like be present and, um, and enjoy it? That's, I don't know why that's so hard, but dang it is. Um, and, and so the stoicism is really is a, is a practical approach to doing that. And this is a book by a professor at a university, but it's very, it's not academic at all. It's, it's really good. And you can read a chapter at a time and take that away. Um, and so a guide to the good life, the ancient art of stoic joy by William Irvine. Awesome. I'll have to check that one out. I love reading as well. Uh, what is your favorite movie or documentary and why would that be your favorite? Oh man. Um, I think right now in my mind, we just, my, my daughter's, just watched the uh, all nine Star Wars movies. Uh, and I, I'm, it's not my favorite movie all the time, but I really enjoyed seeing it through my kids' eyes. And I love thoughtful movies like that. that have a, a kind of an underlying, you can, you can peel back the layers of Star Wars. You can peel back the layers of the Matrix. Uh, they're, they're fun, they're action. There's lots of stuff going on, but there's also some mythology to it. There's some story behind it. And for my kids in particular, I love that because it will have stories that will be sitting at dinner and they're like, well, what about this Jedi thing? Or what about this? You know, so-and-so did that. And you can, you can use that to have a conversation with my kids. So I think that's that's on my, my mind now. I love documentaries and other things too, but you know, some, some of those epics, Star Wars, The Matrix, uh, those, those stand out to me right now. What is the one app on your phone that you couldn't live without? Yeah, I'm not really high tech with this one. Um, <laughs> the, the, Google, the Google stuff is like, just do, do or die for me. Like even just Google Drive, like just having that on my phone. Uh, I don't have any notifications or anything, so I'm not getting notified when I get a, I turn my volume down on my phone all the time. So I, I've a lot of what I'm trying to do is have these deep work time blocks. There's a, another book, really good book. Um, what's his name? It's called uh, Deep Work, but uh, it really motivated me with my my writing and my uh, podcast creation and that stuff. Just to have two to four hour time blocks where you're not getting dinged by your phone, um, but still, the phone's necessary. It's something that's very helpful. And I, me, had, when I was living in Ecuador and doing different things, having a smartphone where somebody at home can communicate with me on 
just Google Hangouts or just a text message or something like that and me be able to sign a document. That's maybe that's the best one. There's like DocuSign. Have DocuSign so that I can sign a lease or I can buy a property or sell a property right. from any from somewhere else. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good answer. What's uh what, what's the best advice you'd give your twenty let's just say twenty two year self twenty two year old self right before you got into real estate investment? I'm guessing you were twenty two. I haven't done yeah. that. Yeah, I was like twenty two, twenty three, somewhere in there. I think I'd just say enjoy the process. I mean, I just have fun with it. I mean, you're, you live and then you die, right? I mean, so you, and you don't know when the, the second part of that's going to happen. So, you know, don't, don't always live for the 20 years from now, 30 years from now, go play that basketball game, go have fun, spend that, have that two hour meal that your friends in Ecuador taught you to have. Uh, you know, I, I think the other stuff will come. Like I'm, I'm into hard work. I'm into setting goals that that stuff we are all pretty good at. But we Americans, like me, pointing myself at my finger at myself again, having that two-hour meal where you enjoy your friends or take that hike or play that basketball, that's a little more difficult for me. So I would just tell myself to keep doing that. That's good advice. You had a, to give a TED Talk on anything uh, that you're not known for, what would that be? Anything at all? Like what does somebody not know about Coach Carson that you feel gifted enough to give advice on? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, the gifted enough part might be the challenge. I would have to study up before I did anything. I feel very competent on the buy and hold rentals and the rest of it, I'm a student. Uh, but I, th- I think this urban design idea has really struck me over the last couple of years. I'm just, my, my wife is like, why are you reading? Like you're reading about how, to, how do neighborhoods are built and how, you know, what do you have to, what does that have to do with anything you're doing? I don't know, but I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So ur- urban planning and how, how and why cities were built the way they are. and there's a lot of different angles there. Some of it, like we talked about earlier, the community, how do you build a community that's more connected? But there's also, I'm reading a book right now called Family Properties. It was about how the ghettos in Chicago came about. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't just people being prejudiced, although that was there. Like, it was systemic. It was like FHA not giving loans because of redlining because they wouldn't give loans to neighborhoods where black people lived. Right. And it was because the local zoning allowed for excluding people, black people from other neighborhoods. And it's just, when you start thinking about the way a city is built and your, your laws are built and how they can systematically um, hurt people and cause problems and how long that reverberates and how long the wealth inequality happens like that. I'm reading that right now and that just blows my mind. And it's, is something that as a real estate investor, somebody who analyzes properties and looks at neighborhoods that, I mean, that, that stuff's always happening. So right. uh, it's not a, it's not a, only a historical thing. It's not the same. It's not exactly the same as it was in terms of the actual laws and the actual, but you know, there are still inequalities and there's still things happening that way. So I'm not sure I could give a Ted talk on that or, and I'd be the one who'd be qualified for that, but yeah. I'm certainly interested in it and I'm reading a lot about it right now. Quick question. When you're done reading about it, would you want to come on to do a solo podcast uh, for this podcast where you just talk to us about it and just absolutely dude that'd yeah. be amazing like i would love yeah. to learn this i've i actually it's 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 embarrassing but i didn't know a lot about this stuff up until the last couple of years and then yeah what that's going on in the world you're studying it out more so i'm yeah i've been researching it a little bit too but not to the extent you have but i would love to hear more of this i'm sure the audience uh, on absolutely. both sides would love it as well yeah be happy to do it. And as long as this comes from the place of like this Chad guy is just reading a book and he's sharing it and we're all, we're all learning together. Cause I'm in the same boat. It's more of a, you're just feeling bad that like, you know, that there's things that when you're, when you're not black and it doesn't affect you on an everyday basis, it's kind of like you, you don't pay attention to it, but when it, you know, so they, you know, people do who it, it affects them every single day. But I think a lot of people now are kind of 
becoming aware of things they weren't paying attention to before and disgusted by it. And I think we all have to become aware of it before you can also just recognize that those things have to change. So I would be honored to come on and be happy to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chad. I, I appreciate it. Coach Carson, man, I, I'm looking forward to airing this quickly because this is thank such you. a good, uh, a good teaching, a good podcast, a bunch of good volleyball going back and forth. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this. So. Me too. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for having me. It was, it was, I'm an, it's an honor to be on the, the show and thanks for all the work you're doing as well. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.